All right. Well, we're starting into summer, and um, and so uh, today is kind of a lead-in to kind of our next sermon series. I was I, I spend my mornings. I usually start my day out. I try to start it out in prayer, and and which is it's a good thing, right? And and something I would encourage. And I haven't always been great at that, honestly, you know, but, but I really try to be really purposeful to, to spend some really, some serious time in, in prayer first thing in the mornings and as I come here. And, and I have a familiar prayer that, that God is really familiar with, and it's, God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Can you help me? <laughs> I got no clue what to do next. And so I was just kind of hanging out, and I felt like God's just impressed on me to teach about the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're, we are finishing up a, a series on heaven. I hope you were blessed by that and, and kind of, our, kind of our, our, our misconceptions, I guess, biblically about what heaven is going to be like and what it looks like and stuff. And so we just finished that up. And so that's, uh, interestingly, that's, that's the thing that's, that's rarely taught on in, in churches. So, so we got done with that. And the other thing that's rarely taught on, which is also interesting, is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're going to go through the Holy Spirit this next, uh, the whole of the next summer. There are some, some cards, too, if you want to invite somebody or whatever. They're around different places. You can find one of these cards and just invite somebody to our summer series. Uh, the first week, today's going to be kind of a lead-on. We're going to talk, lead-in, I guess, lead-on, whatever, uh, the flesh or the spirit kind of a thing. It's, it's this idea of, like, what is this idea? And then next week, we're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then for the next nine weeks after that, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And there's nine of, of uh, characteristics of, of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer, and so we'll go through that. Then we're going to teach on the gifts of the Spirit. There's two different, a couple of different lists in the Bible on gifts, uh, one in Romans and one in Corinthians. We're going to take a week and look at each one of those, and then we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. And so that's going to go from June 11th through September the 3rd. So, and another plug. If you miss church in the morning because you're out having fun or camping or whatever and doing all your good stuff, which is awesome, we love it. We live in a great place and we have a limited time to get out there and do that, but we have a six o'clock service. And so if you miss it in the morning, come out in the evening. We're, we're doing the same stuff. And it's kind of the whole idea behind having our six o'clock service is to provide opportunities for everybody to make fellowship and to make it to church. So don't just skip it. Jeez, come out at six. We'll hang out, all right? So the flesh of the spirit. So let's, uh, we'll get into it here this morning, the flesh. We'll start with that. What is the flesh? The, 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 the Bible talks and it has this, these terms and sometimes these Christianese terms and sometimes we get them and sometimes we don't. But, but the flesh is really just the natural state of, the, of a person apart from a relationship to God. It's our fallen nature is what it is and it's characterized really by our sinful desires. And so if you've raised kids, you kind of get this idea on a, on a real bigger level. The, you know, said no parent ever, gosh, look at, look at this little one. They're like so perfect. They've, they've never done anything wrong. They've, they've never stolen anything. They've never lied. Uh, they've never hit anybody. They've never been selfish with their toys. They've never been deceitful. They've never uh, been a manipulative. Gosh. We better teach this little one those things so they can get by in the world, right? No parent ever said that because the reality of parenting is that we all do all of those things naturally. And as a matter of fact, parenting is really this idea of when, when, when our kids kind of 
de- and us too, don't, don't get me wrong, when, we, when they derail, you, you help them get back on the track, so they derail here and we help them get back. It's, it's a guiding and it's a moving. It's not a straight line. If you parented, you, you go into parenting thinking it's going to be a, a straight line for you because you have all of the right ideas and you quickly find out that it's not a straight line by any means. And, and so anyway, the, the, the thing with that is that the Bible teaches that we are born with an inherent nature to kind of seek after the things that that really don't bless us or the things that aren't necessarily right or the things that aren't in agreement uh, with God. The flesh itself is weak. It's weak. It's unable in its own self to really kind of change itself or to, to move in a different direction. I don't know about you guys, but how many times have you said, I'll never do X again, right? I'm done with that. It's over. I'll never do it. And then you don't make it till Friday, you know? I mean, I never did. So the flesh is weak. The flesh is self-centered. It's all about ourselves when we're in the flesh, and it's rebellious to the things of God. Romans 8, 7 and 8 really says this. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it's really simple. It just says, look, if this is the state of where we're living, you, you, you just can't really be pleasing to God. You can't get outside of a selfish pursuit of life. Because the, the, and you can't discipline your flesh into doing that. It, it, it won't do it. See, we spend way too much time, and especially as believers, trying to discipline our flesh, trying to just be better. I'll just be good. I'll do good things. I'll, I'll, I'll seek, I'll, I'll go help a lot of old ladies across the street. I'll do all of these good works or whatever. I'll discipline my flesh and that will help me to be better. But that always falls short. Why? Because, because the flesh is weak. Because the, the reality of the self-will is that it always falls short. It, 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 it can sustain us for short amounts of time, but rarely is it ever enduring really in our lives. The flesh is deceptive, and it disguises itself always in attractive things. The world is, is coming at us all the time. And you see, the, the interesting thing about the Bible is that it talks about the same stuff that we've been attracted to, that we struggle with as humanity, even though we're on the cusp of all of these amazing technological advances, all the society and all of these things have moved so far, but yet the human being still struggles with these same core struggle issues. We still are struggling with, with power and control and, 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 and fame and uh, things and stuff and power and possessions and sex and all kinds of things are, are, are just elementary to the human experience. We're all drawn and we can struggle in all of those areas. And the problem with the flesh is that it has this real capacity to derail us spiritually. It pulls us into these things. As a matter of fact, we're constantly bombarded by the world, media, uh, advertisement. I mean, advertising is an absolute science, People get doctorates in this kind of stuff these days, and they know exactly how to reach out and how to pull on us and how to, they, it understands the things that we're naturally attracted to. And, and then so you start to believe things like, if I actually use this deodorant, I would become an NBA star, or, or I would have an amazing house, or I would be beautiful, or one of those kinds of things. And, and it's always pulling at these places. It's a big problem, too, with our social media. It's a big problem of why our young people, and especially maybe young girls, are struggling in particular. The suicide rate is going up drastically. Why? Because all of these people, we're all, we're all comparing our insides to everybody else's outsides. Everybody is on social media. I mean, I call it fake book. 
It's, it's, it's just fake book. It's, it's this idea that I'm going to put out there this idea of who I would like you to believe that I am, right? And that my life is ex- amazing, and it's, I'll post all the amazing pictures in my life and Instagram and stuff like that, and we, start, we get out there and we start to compare that, and we're pulled to that because we want to have these kinds of things. Why? Because the flesh wants to give you identity, the culture around us. See, it's we who create the culture that is around us. Culture doesn't create us. It doesn't really change us. We, we're, we're the ones who are driving and the driving force to the culture that we live in. Nobody's selling much out there to us that we don't already want, right? And, and, and so, but, but the flesh wants to define who you are. It wants to tell you what it is to have value in your life. It wants to tell you who you are or your identity, it wants, to, it wants to begin to determine these kinds of things for us and tell us that you're nobody if you don't have all of these things, if you don't drive this or live here or have this relationship. And identity is these areas, these are areas and they're, they're basics to what God has laid forth. You watch what is being attacked right now. It's the family, it's marriage, and it's identity. And because people are, are this deceitful, deceitful uh, flesh that we're just prone to, it, it hinders our growth, and, and it robs the joy and the peace that God would want to give us, and it distances us from God. Well, the, the opposite to that and what the Bible talks about is living according to the Spirit. It, it, and the Spirit is this. It's really that the, the Bible lays out that we are kind of triune beings in our, in our in a, in and of ourselves, that we're created by a triune God who is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, diversity brought into perfect unity, the three of them into one, and that you really are that same kind of a thing, your, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Your body is obviously the flesh that, 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 that's the, the, the housing of your soul. It's, it's part of who we are. We talked about this in heaven. We were created to be both physical and spiritual. We were, we, we were created, it says God first made a body, and then he breathed life into that, and then that became a living being. It became, in Hebrew, a nefesh. And the idea here is that we are body, and your soul is this. It's your emotions. It's your personality. It's that thing that makes you uniquely you. It's that thing you can't really get a hold of, but you know you are an individual, that you're somebody unique and that that's who you are. But your spirit is that thing that connects us in our relationship to God. And that spirit is the very thing that was broken at the fall. What the Bible teaches is that basically God gave one directive. He, he put humanity in a perfect place, in a perfect situation, in perfect uh, fellowship with himself and gave one commandment. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you're not ready for it. You can't handle it. Don't do it. And don't go that direction apart from me. Well, we all know what happened is, is that we've all went that way. We've all went in a direction away from God. We've all chose our own thing. And what happened is that God told them, you don't do it because you will surely die. Now, when they did it, they did not die a physical death at that time. Physical death became an assurance and a reality because a merciful God said, I won't allow you to live in that existence, that sinful place, that rebellious place for all of your life, forever and ever and ever. I won't let you continue to create culture and society forever and ever and ever in that place. Imagine how ugly it would get. So God, uh, he, he provided a way 
through the cross and through Jesus so that we could be reconciled back in our relationship, so that we could be forgiven and through obedience and through turning back to Christ and looking at him and trusting in him for salvation, that we could be made a new creation. And this is the mysterious part of of Christianity. It's at the heart of the whole thing, this idea of being made new and a new creation, that the spirit that God placed inside of us that was dead and separated because of sin can now be resurrected and brought back to life. The Bible talks about it. Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees at night, and he tells him this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. See, it teaches this. It teaches that we're born into this fleshly condition, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, born into a sinful state, in need of redemption, in need of this spirit that was our connection and our connecting point with God to be restored and brought back into place. And when we trust Jesus, this is the thing that comes back to life, and the Bible reckons it with an idea of being born again. For all those crazy Christians that start born-again Christians, right? It's where it comes from, right? This idea of being born again, it, it, it means this. It means that the spirit, your way of connecting with God has been restored. It's kind of like traveling with one radio station through Wyoming, right? You, you, you leave, and you're leaving Sheridan, and it's tuned in pretty good, and then also, it's nothing, right? When we're born again of the spirit, it's like God... It, he tunes that dial back in to where we can hear from him. The Bible teaches that the natural man discerns or understands not the things of the spirit for they are spiritually understood or discerned. It means that we can't really get it until we're tuned back in. And the only way the Bible teaches to be tuned back in is through a relationship with Jesus. It's a crazy, mysterious thing It teaches this, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, actually comes and inhabits his people. And he quickens the spirit and brings it back to life. And we have communion and relationship with God. And the spirit equips us to resist the temptations of the flesh. The Spirit gives us a higher calling, a higher understanding about what life is about. It breaks us away from this idea that life is just about stuff and getting more of it. It's not about just your position or your power or or your hobbies or any of those things. Now, those things can be fine, but the problem with us is that we get them out of their proper place. We we, we tend to get those in the the area of, of, of where God ought to be in our lives, and then they become what the Bible would refer to as an idol. When, when we get right with God and we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then God reorders all of those things in our life and puts them in the proper place. See, the Spirit guides and it teaches us as our minds are renewed. Romans 12, 2. Be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, it's God who set the standard of what's good and acceptable and perfect. And to understand that or to get in that place, we have to have our minds renewed. 
Why? Because we have fallen to the deceptions of the world. We've believed the lies that are out there. We've believed that life was really about this or that or these kinds of things, when in reality, God has been trying to paint for us a much higher calling, a much more beautiful way of living, a way that's outside of ourselves, that's living for others and not just for ourselves, a, a way of living that's honoring God, that's understanding in and of ourselves and in this mind that is being transformed and being renewed by God what is good and what is right and what is acceptable. We're always looking for the will of God, and it's telling us right here that if we are, allow God to transform our minds, we're going to have a headlong collision with God's purpose and his will in our lives. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's this idea, too, that, 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 that it's the spirit that gives life. That all of the things of the flesh, at the end of the day, are much more acquainted with death than life. And these are things that can never fulfill us. Why? Because they aren't made to fulfill you. They're, they're not able to fulfill us. You see, you see, if we spend our lives seeking after things, eventually those things will let you down because, A, potentially, you might lose those things in your lifetime. But if you don't lose those things in your lifetime, eventually you're going to die and you're going to leave this world and you're going to leave those things behind. And then how much value are they really? If you're seeking after youth and beauty, eventually you'll get old and ugly, and that's just a reality. And so, so, so you see these things. We can't set our hope in the things of the world because ultimately the things of the world will let us down, but it's the things of the Spirit that bring life and a continuity of life. The things of this world will continue on forever and ever and ever. We have a possibility of joining with God through the Spirit and living our lives in a way that's impactful, not just for the present and not just for the here, but forever and ever and ever. And to become something new, to become an entirely new creation. Still yourself, but really the self that you and I were always intended to be. Not the self that was deceived and distorted and the image of God distorted in us and, and, and robbed from us by the enemy, but the real purpose and challenge, uh, the, the real purpose that God has for us. You see, it's an interesting thing. You change your mind and then God will start to change your heart. We first change our minds, and then God starts to work on our hearts. And it's the Spirit that empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God. The hard part about this is that there's a battle that's going on. And the Bible teaches that there's a spiritual battle that is greater than, that, that, that's a reality, that there are ev there's real evil that's going on in this world, and there's real good that's going on in this world. There's both malevolent, ma malevolent and benevolent spirits, and there's a battle that is going on. In the, in, in the heavenly realms, in, in the realms that we don't necessarily see or understand, but it's a reality nonetheless. There's an eternal thing that's going on in the midst of our temporal thing. And it's going on both in the life of a believer and the lives of the unbelievers. It says this, Galatians 5.17 for the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Interesting way of, leave, of, of leaving that, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Because the problem with our desires is that many times we're desiring things that at the end of the day won't really bless us. 
but God knows what blesses us. And if we, if we feed into the spirit here, um, we can live an entirely different way. There's a, there's a Native American kind of a parable that actually fits this very well. You've probably heard it. It's, a, it's a, like a grandson, and his, his grandfather's having a talk with him, and he's, he's telling his grandson, look, inside of everybody, there's a black wolf and a white wolf, right? And, and, the, and the black wolf represents everything that's evil and, and bad and, you know, all of these different things. But the white wolf represents the things that are good and honorable and loving and all of those kinds of things. But they fight, Inside of you every day, these wolves fight. And he tells his grandson, you can know which one will win the fight, though. His grandson says, well, how will I ever know which one will win the fight? He says, whichever dog you feed. Whichever wolf you feed will win that fight. This is very much, that's very much exactly what we're talking about today, is, is what are we feeding into? Are we feeding our flesh, or are we feeding the spirit that's been born in us? See, the flesh still has the ability to tempt us even after we've believed and received the Holy Spirit. That's why Christians do such dumb things, right? I mean, it's why, it's why we see these guys who are, who are uh, you know, just these up on their pedestals and in charge of, you know, big churches and just fall off and topple off left and right. Why? Because there's still this draw. There can still be this place where there's a reality that if I, if I leave walking in the Spirit, I can be enticed and pulled in by the flesh. It continually seeks to dominate our lives, this fleshly part of us does. And it will even emulate spirituality to stay there. It will, it will create your own form of spirituality. It will, you won't be surrendered to what God says. You'll, you'll create your own form. I spent, I spent years doing this, creating my own system of belief, the spiritual salad bar that said, well, here's what I believe and what I believe and what I think, and I think this and I think that, and no, I don't believe that, and whatever. At the end of the day, I came to realize that that belief system had no power to change me. It had no uh, power to change the way I lived and interacted in this world because I was the God of that system. Therefore, whatever I wanted to be permissible was, and I wasn't under authority, I was the authority. And when I'm the authority, it's a bad deal. It really is. It's not good for anybody, including me. And so there's this battle, and, and, and it will masquerade as a spiritual person doing spiritual things. Even the Christian will, will at the bottom, at the, at the reality of sometimes of our motives, it will be self-centered. It will be about power and control and different things like that. And at that point, even your spiritual actions are governed and controlled by the flesh. And it will sit on the throne of your heart deceiving you into thinking that you're actually living as a super spiritual, ultra spiritual person maybe. What are we sowing to? The Bible gives us this idea of, of sowing and reaping. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. What are we sowing to? What, what seeds are you throwing? Because the Bible says, don't be fooled. God's not mocked. For whatever a man, to whatever he sows, out of this he will also reap. So if we're sowing good seeds, then eventually, then it may not happen today because there's a whole process that seeds go through before they actually produce a crop. But eventually, some good things will happen. Doesn't mean all great things will happen. Doesn't mean hard things won't happen. That would be contradictory to what the Bible teaches because the Bible teaches us that in this world, you'll still have trouble. 
But, but, but you'll live your world. But, but Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world. I've given you a different way through. I'm giving you a different outcome. But if we sow continually just into our flesh, just into our selfishness, just into the things that I want, and I live my life, and even if I'm a good person, living my life for just the things that I want and I want to do and my pursuits and my hobbies and my things, at the end of the day, I will have missed so much of what God had for me because I will have lived my life for myself. And, and at the end of the day, I might have a lot of regrets about how I went about that. Romans 8.13, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's only by the Spirit that this happens. If we live by the flesh, we will die. And again, I want to I continue to, to help us understand that God has a very different definition of dying and death than we do. We almost always think of it from a physical perspective. God is talking about spiritual death. He's not ta- physical death is not a big deal to God. I mean, it is, don't get me wrong. He's not uncaring or any of those kinds of things. But, but, but what's eternal is what's ultimately really true. And God knows that you've been created to be an eternal being. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. The idea is crucifying our flesh. It's dying to ourself and living to something greater. It's about putting down the the low things of the earth, the low expectations, the low ways of living, the low ways of of defining ourselves and the life around us. And it's about grabbing onto something higher and bigger and greater. And those are the things that the Spirit brings to us. And then you'll find life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold that in this life, you'll find it maybe in a way that you never understood it to be. You know, isn't it great when we go out and serve? Honestly, as much as you don't want to. You know what I mean? It's all the time. It's true for me, too. It's like, I don't really want to do that. Dang, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't even like those people or whatever that looks like, you know? But it's always so good when you go do it. When we get done with it or we go and we actually follow through with it. We're like, yeah, that was good. It brought me life. It was life-giving to me. Honestly, it's black and white. It's life or death. That's the way that the Bible lays it out. It's not the way tries laying it out. It's the way that the Bible lays it out. It's one or the other. It's that black and white. At the garden, disobedience took us away from life, and death came. There's some interesting things in the Bible, some really weird stuff, honestly, right? Especially when you get into the Old Testament and stuff, and things that, because we're talking about a culture that's, that's literally thousands of years prior to ours, there's a lot of things that we don't get or understand. And, and, and we have to start to understand those things from, from really a bigger picture perspective and start to understand that all of those things were guiding and directing and teaching the people something back then. So in the Old Testament... There were things like if you had leprosy, you were unclean. You were defiled. You, you couldn't come into the presence of God. You couldn't come into the temple. A, a priest wouldn't touch you. A woman who was on her cycle, it was the same thing. She was defiled and she, was, she had to go outside of the camp and all of these things. And you're like, wow, that's just really weird, you know, super weird to us. The same thing with a, a guy who was actually, and I don't, I'm not trying to be crude or anything, but, but if he was like leaking or struggling with like seminal fluid kind of a thing, it, it was the same thing. 
But you see, these things were a, a picture. They weren't allowed to go because the, all of these things, both a woman in her cycle and the man as well, were a picture of, of the unfruitful going out of life, out of their body. You, you see that because all, both of those things represented to the people life, both the seed of the man and of the woman. It was a representation of what was life. And so the priest, if he actually even touched that or rubbed up against it, it would leave him defiled, ceremonially defiled and unable to, care, to fulfill his priestly duty. See, he could only serve in an undefiled state. Things like touching a corpse, touching a woman who was on her cycle, touching a leper, uh, you know, coming in contact with any, some of these different things, it left him defiled. And it's an interesting picture because for the priest, he's not dealing with his own sin. What's, what's defiling him and keeping him out of what he's called to or his ministry or his duties is what's kind of gotten on him. It, it's gotten on him and it has defiled him. It's not his sin that he's dealing with. It's the same way with us. It's kind of an interesting thing if you think about it. See, when we go into the flesh, the flesh always produces sin, but the issue isn't the sin in your life. The issue, the sin in our lives is dealt with. It's done. If you're in Christ, it's over. It is finished. It has been forgiven. The, the, the book of Isaiah says that he has buried it at the bottom of the ocean and he has chosen to remember it no more. It is finished on the cross. It's done. The sin in our lives isn't the issue. But the sin in our lives, and when we, when we glom on, when we rub up into the flesh and we get in that realm, it gets on us and it defiles us. It leaves us impure. It leaves us unable to really carry out the ministry that God has for us. It, it, just, it just kind of messes it up. It takes us into a place where we can't operate in the same way. It quenches the spirit in our lives is what it does. It quenches the spirit. But see, when we see Jesus show up on the, on the scene, everything is different. He's a different kind of priest with a, different, with a different outcome. As a matter of fact, in his ministry, in the book of Mark, what do we do? We see, we see him touch a leper. The leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and does what no priest would do. He touches him. And see, what's on the leper doesn't get on Jesus. What's on Jesus gets on the leper. He then goes, and he's, he's going on a little bit later, and he's going to uh, the house of Jairus, and Jairus' daughter, his young 12-year-old daughter, has died. Or she's really sick, I guess, at this point. And Jesus, on the way, a woman crawls through the crowd and reaches into his hem and touches the hem of his garment, and she has an issue of blood, it says, and she's had this issue of blood for 12 years, and nobody can deal with it, and nobody wants to touch her, none of the other priests, because that will leave them ceremonially defiled. But Jesus, she touches him, and he gets on her, and she's healed instantly of that. And then it says he gets to Jairus' house, and this girl has died, and Jesus takes her by the hand. But you see, none of those things leave him defiled, and none of those things limit him because he's a priest of a different kind. See, he wasn't affected by what was impure. He got on them and he made them pure. And this is a picture of consecration in our lives. You see, when we are, as believers, we're seeking into the things of the Spirit and we're pursuing the things of the Spirit, don't get me wrong, you've already been consecrated in Christ, but it's that place of ongoing consecration, of taking what is common 
and setting it apart for holy use, for goodness, for those kinds of things. And, and when we spend time and we walk in the Spirit, then the reality is, is that the things of the flesh don't get on us and defile and limit us in, our, in the ministry that God has before us. We're consecrated. We're set apart. When we come to him just like they did in a place of desperation, in a place of desiring the, the spirit, you see, they knew that Jesus was the answer. And when we come into that too and we, 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 we purpose ourselves to go and to pursue the things of the spirit, he makes us holy and he changes us. And he's changing us not from some kind of a letter of the law that's an external thing that's saying don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. Christianity is not a, 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 it's not a movement of following rules. There's one rule and it's the law of liberty. There's a law that's at hand, but it's the law of what you can do when you're following the Spirit, not what you can't do because you need to be restrained from everything or I need to be restrained from everything. So how do we do this? Well, first, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father lest the Spirit of God draws them to him. It's the picture of the Trinity in, in, in cooperation in the process of salvation. It's the Father. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. No one comes to the Son but lest the Spirit draws him. You have to have a relationship with Jesus, and you can do that at any time. It's really about a heart. It's not about a prayer. It's not about a certain amount of words. What it's really about is saying yes to Jesus, to reckon with the reality of the sin in our lives, that we've lived our lives for the flesh, for the things of the flesh, and, and that we, um, we need to be redeemed. We need to be uh, made new. And then repenting, we turn, we turn from our sin. And repentance simply means to turn around. It means we go back towards God instead of away from him. And then here's the big kicker. I never want to sell a cheap gospel. It means you make him the Lord of your life. He becomes the authority in your life. His word becomes, becomes the, the authority and, and the means by which you're living your life. We quit living our lives by our own means and by the things that we think. And we begin to listen to God and follow close to him. You cultivate a relationship with him. And to cultivate the ground means to prepare it, to prepare the ground for the seed that will be put in it so that it will be fruitful. We cultivate our relationship with God by spending time in his word, by reading his word and understanding it, and by knowing the heart and the mind of God and what he has to say to us. This is a standard that he's laid out, and we need to understand it and know it. You cultivate it by meditating on his word, thinking on his word, allowing his spirit to, to change your mind and your heart by, by spending time in there just in meditation, by prayer, which is talking to God, simply talking and also hearing from God and seeking his presence, desiring to be in the presence of God. You renew your mind. Like we said, Romans 8, 5, 6 says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We allow God and the Holy Spirit to renew our mind, to reshape our thoughts, to change our mind, and then allow God to change our hearts. You submit yourself to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We begin to actually listen. How many times, I mean, 
How many times do you think that we just really, that God is trying to speak to us and we just don't listen? God is telling us things like, you should teach children's church one week. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. Uh, no, none of this stuff is by compulsion, okay? We can't do it that way. But, um, but we, do, we do listen to the, to the guidance of the Spirit. Begin to believe and understand that God wants to speak with you. He wants to commune with you. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which we have communion with God. God wants to speak into our lives. And, and it's not a, a, I mean, God can do whatever. I mean, let's don't put him in a box. But when God speaks to me, it's not an audible voice. It's just this thing that happens in my spirit. It's a witness in my spirit that I just know, okay, all right, I'm pretty sure at least I'm hearing from God. And then I check it out with God's word because it can't contradict God's word. And maybe I run it off of some other people, some believers, some folks that I know and trust. And maybe I wait. Sometimes there's confirmation that comes. And sometimes through a process of all, some of those things, I'm like, you know what? I think I, think I heard this from God. I think we're supposed to do this. I think I'm supposed to do this. So we submit ourselves to that. We surrender our will to the leading of the Spirit. Remember, he's a king. This is the reality. He's a king with a kingdom. And honestly, kings don't care much about votes and things like that. They don't. They're sovereign rulers, and this is who he is. And allow him to convict ourselves of the sin in our lives and to recognize the reality of that. And, and through that conviction, to repent and to turn from those things and allow God to prompt us to make good and godly choices. Here's the secret. Everybody wants the secret, right? Galatians 5.16, for I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There you go. Just do that, right? Just do that. See, you can't be in two places at once. You can't serve two masters. Jesus laid it out as a spiritual principle. You'll love one, and you'll forsake the other. This one says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You walk by the flesh, you will not fulfill the desires of the Spirit. It's that much. You can't be in too much, two places at once. Seek his wisdom to guide you and allow him to speak into your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've taken the low way that we tend to live our lives and you have elevated. You've, you've given us something different. You've given us a new thing, a higher calling, a higher vision for the life, both here and for what's to come. You've saved us. You, through the cross, you've made a way that, that sinful me can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God, that I can have righteousness imputed to my account, not because I deserve it, not because I'm good, but because you're good. And, and the same is true for whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. And Lord, you, you, you tell us that there's better things to live for, but you don't just tell us to go out there and live for those things. You actually give us your spirit to empower us to live in a different way, in a different manner. We're so grateful. Lord, may we be filled with the Spirit this day. Lord, we recognize and want to know and say that, that the world doesn't need a bunch of churchgoers. What the world out there needs is Spirit-filled believers who are sold out to you and to your kingdom and to your purposes. May it be, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.